0: Uh, this morning as we look at uh, continue to look at this study comparing uh, Catholic doctrine with our beliefs we this morning are looking at the sacrament of anointing the sick uh, this is one of the sacraments of healing in the seven sacraments and it's the sacrament of anointing the sick uh, but really the the flow of this morning that I want to follow first is I want to think about what the Bible says, just generally speaking, about sickness and uh, health, really. And then look specifically at the Catholic understanding of what this sacrament is and think about uh, Scripture related to it and what our beliefs are. So first, as we think about this, if you want to turn to Revelation chapter 21... Revelation 21. It's a familiar verse to us. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5. Revelation 21, 3 through 5, and the word of the Lord says this And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. True. And so this verse, even though it's at the end of the Bible, really sets the stage and helps us understand everything in the Bible as far as what's going on with sickness and other things. Because this is this is our hope of what life will be like in the new heavens and the new earth as a part of the kingdom of God, former things have passed away. Death will be no more. God has made all things new. And so if we believe the gospel, if we believe that Jesus has died in our place as our Savior and Lord and taken away our sins and gives us new life, when we believe that, then we will experience this. Uh, this is our future. It's, it affirms to us, write this down, these words are trustworthy and true. So this is what we will get to experience and uh, I'm reminded of the song. What a day that will be, when my Jesus I will see, when I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace. What a day, glorious day, that will be. And so we know that the reason that will be a glorious day is because the effects of sin will be no more. That's really what's going on here. The effects of sin are done away with. Death, sin, and all of it, brokenness, is all done away with, and it's made perfect again, brand new, the new heavens and the new earth. And so that's really what sets the stage, helps us remember what's been going on throughout the rest of the Bible. Genesis 3, when sin entered the world, so did death. So did all the things that lead to death, all the brokenness. Atrophy, sickness, deformity, all these things that exist, exist because of sin. And all the things that are wrong with this world exist because sin exists. And so uh, that means really when we think about it, the, the effects of sin are often far more reaching than we sometimes think about. That doesn't mean that specifically when I get sick or you get sick, or uh, have some kind of brokenness in your life, disability, stroke, cancer, you know the long list of things that your doctor may tell you when you go in for your yearly appointment, that doesn't mean that all those things are directly a, a result or a punishment because of your sin that you've committed. Uh, but sin exists and brokenness in the world does exist because of sin. So it doesn't mean that it's directly because of your sin, but it might be. So there's two categories, and we need to remember this. Uh, Sin does have consequences. We remember that. right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that there were people who had become sick and had died because they didn't take the Lord's Supper the right way. That was a, a direct consequence for sin. We definitely see this category of sin causing physical effects in in our individual life in the bible so i mean you can just think of like studies that have been done about the effects of stress on your uh, physical well-being right stress can lead to all kinds of other physical ailments Uh similar idea right we're commanded in the bible to be anxious for nothing philippians 4 6 to not worry Matthew 6:31 to fear not Revelation 2:10 and so that sin like anxiousness worry anxiety leads to actually leads to physical consequences often in us individually so we need to have that category right just because brokenness happens to us we can't always say that it's not because of something i've done It may be. We need to think through that. But it doesn't always mean it is. So we need to have the other category as well. That it may be that the brokenness we're experiencing is not because of my individual sin, but rather it's because God has a a plan and is going to work something in our life to get glory and to show us how amazing he is. So for instance... You remember John chapter 9, the man born blind. What did the disciples ask Jesus? They asked him, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And what did Jesus say? He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so there's brokenness, there's physical things we go through in our life. That may not be from our sin at all. It may just be part of what God is going to do in us. One, to show us his amazing grace and glory and faithfulness and steadfastness. And then to receive glory from it, right? And so you remember uh, the story of that man in John chapter 9, right? Jesus healed him. He gave him sight. The man ends up testifying about Jesus in this powerful way to to the Pharisees. To the, the religious leaders of the day, and they get upset about it because he knows the truth better than they do, really is what it comes down to, and he believes in Jesus, right? So if we see what God was doing in that, in his life, sometimes the, the brokenness that we experience, the physical effects that we experience, sickness, etc., is because God's doing something bigger in us. He's showing us more of what he is like. And so we need to remember those two categories. The same thing happened with the Apostle Paul, right? You remember, he had that thorn in the side, the thorn in the flesh. Uh, It wasn't because of his sin. In fact, specifically, we read the opposite. This is in 2 Corinthians 12. It was because of the, the greatness of the revelations he had seen from God. He literally saw Jesus. He literally heard, had the word of God from God. So you can imagine like, uh, how amazing that may be, but also God wanting to make sure he stayed humble in that. And the Lord tells him, uh, as Paul prayed and asked God to take it away, what did God say? My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says he will... Boasts all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So God didn't heal Paul, but rather, really, God was doing something through Paul's weakness and showing how great he was. So really, again, there we see this idea uh, we've talked about recently that really everything is for the glory of God, right? If God's going to get more glory and be seen as more amazing and glorious by you being healed from your sickness, well, he's going to do that. If he's going to get more glory and be shown as more amazing and faithful and gracious and sustaining by uh, you continuing to be sick, then he's going to do that. We don't know what his plans are. Uh, It's our job to give glory to God in whatever situation we are in. But uh, we remember that God has his plans and he, uh, he is working those plans to be glorified and show how great and marvelous he is. And so all of that, really as we think about sickness and how it works in the Bible and health and why it exists, all of that sets us up to think about this idea of Not only healing, but this topic of anointing the sick, which is a sacrament in the Catholic Church. So we know that God's able to heal people. We see that in the Bible, clearly. He does heal people during his ministry here on earth. Him healing people was part of what showed that he was the Messiah. He was truly the one from God. And so it's a taste, again, of what we'll see in the future. Jesus healed people here. He reminds us that's what we'll experience then. So we know healing is real. We know it exists. We know that God can still do it. But in the sacrament of anointing the sick, Catholics are saying more than God is just able to heal people. They're also saying that this actually forgives sins, uh, which is, if you've noticed, that's a common theme throughout all the sacraments. They're related to forgiveness of Sin. So they specifically state that, that anointing of the sick forgives sins. This is the Catholic Catechism 1532. Uh, they also talk about how anointing the sick is a way to prepare them for their final journey through death into the presence of God. Uh, so this is usually the sacrament that fits most closely into what's commonly called last rites. Again, that's a set of three sacraments. Really, it's confession. Uh, anointing the sick, and then also the Eucharist, but usually this is kind of where it's talked about in the Catholic Catechism. But you remember the system, right? How this fits into the whole structure of Catholicism. You have grace infused into you at baptism, uh, but then when you sin, you fall from that grace, that right standing with God, so to speak. Then you have to do things to regain that good standing with God. You have to partake of the Holy Communion, the Eucharist. And then you get it back, but then when you sin, you have to take it again, and you have to, also then, you can confess your sin, and that absolves you of some of it Do penance related to that, right? But then you sin, and you have to do this again and again, and it keeps going. Well, this fits into that, and it really is a sense in which you're unable to do a lot of those other things. You're in sickness, you're in dire health situations, right? And so this is a way in the Catholic Church that you can be really forgiven of those sins. Just think about, like, death at the end of life. You're sick unto death, right? Well, this is part of how they prepare you for that, in their words, the final journey of uh, forgiving you of those sins and setting you up to go into the, the presence of God, right? Removing those. So, that's how this fits. We would have some disagreements with that. Obviously, when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, we've talked about that pretty much every week, it seems like, but we see in the Bible that only through faith and repentance do we receive salvation and forgiveness of sins, that it's not through works that we do, Romans chapter three, we see this in Galatians as well, that it's not through works we do, but it's simply the the gift of God, the grace of God. We don't earn it, we don't add to it, it's a done deal. Uh, It is finished. It's because Jesus' work is perfect, we're also declared perfect. But since we're on this topic, to kind of wrap up and finish our thoughts on it this morning, let's look at James chapter 5, because this is where this comes from. If you're not familiar with anointing the sick, it comes from James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. There is one reference in Mark as well where the disciples were sent out and they anointed people uh, in connection to healing the sick when Jesus sent out the disciples. But most people look at James chapter 5. So this is James chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. It says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so here we see, really, this this practice. This is what anointing the sick looks like, right? Someone's sick, this is serious sickness, right? It's not just like common cold, Uh, they call for the the elders, again we remember elders just synonymous with pastor throughout the Bible, so the elders, the pastors, it's interesting it is plural, usually the Bible assumes there are multiple leaders within a church, Uh, but they call for the, the elders, the pastors of the church to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and this is really sometimes confusing to us. Because we don't, uh, generally, we don't practice this, uh, or at least it's rarely practiced. And that's understandable because, again, it's supposed to be reserved not for every sickness, but for like serious sicknesses and things. But what is going on here? Well, one, it's not a uh, passageway into death, it's not like the final journey because, specifically, they're doing this so that the Lord will raise him up though he'll heal them so that's one disagreement we have but they're anointing with oil they're praying for him they're praying that he'll be healed but they're also anointing with oil because that's really a reminder throughout the bible that someone's being consecrated or set apart to god you remember how the priests uh aaron and his sons were anointed with oil they were set apart to the priesthood this was what they were going to do Uh, We see David anointed as the king. We see Jesus anointed as well as, as the Messiah. Messiah literally means the anointed one. And so this theme of anointing and being set apart for something really flows throughout the Bible. And that's what's going on here. It's not just, I don't think, just a medicinal thing like you need to pray and take your medicine. You should do that. But what's going on here, I think, is more than that, in that this is like a, a symbol, it's kind of like I heard one person compare it to fasting. So when you fast, what are you doing? Well, fasting in itself reminds us to pray, because when you get hungry, then you pray. But fasting is is kind of more than that, right? It's it's us through what we're doing saying we want God more than. Uh, physical things. We want him more than, as we're saying, silver or gold. We want him more than anything here on earth, right? So anointing the sick is kind of in that same vein. It's not just praying to God. It's saying, listen, we're setting this part, person apart to you, Lord. We know they're in your hands, that you're the one who has to heal and raise. I mean, you can think about the medicinal options available in the biblical times, right? When someone was deathly sick, there really weren't any options, they're in the Lord's hands, and they're acknowledging that. They're setting them apart by, by doing this. So it's a, it's a visible reminder that this is what we're doing, and it's a, it's a reminder that this is up to the Lord. He must, he must heal them. He must bring them back. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So it's, it's essentially the person symbolizing the, that the person set apart for God's special attention and His care. It's not, it's not like an automatic thing to produce healing, but it's a prayerful expression in that sense, that this is what we're doing, this is special, you need the Lord's help, this person is in your hands, and we pray in faith, Lord, knowing that you can heal them, and the Lord is the one who must raise them up, and we trust that he can do that. And so that's a little bit just on that passage of anointing the sick and what's going on in James. Really, the the main disagreements are not necessarily the actual practice of it, but the significance of it between Catholics and what we would believe. Again, we want to believe that this is connected to uh, forgiveness of sins in the proper sense, but that this is an act of Faith that we're remembering that this person, they're in God's hands and God must work to to heal them. And so this is uh, really an overview and thought about healing throughout the Bible and sickness and health, as well as looking specifically at that passage in James and the differences between Catholic understanding and our understanding.